Welcome and thank you for joining us for the NAHU Healthcare Happy Hour, the official podcast of the National Association of Health Underwriters. Before we begin, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or Spotify. The podcast is distributed on these platforms every Friday and is included in the NAHU's weekly member-exclusive health policy newsletter, The Washington Update, giving you a head start on your weekly healthcare happy hour. Hopefully, you all saw in your inbox on Tuesday that NAHU and all individual market brokers had a major regulatory victory this week. A new FAQ from CMS has made a vital clarification regarding broker compensation during special enrollment periods. In addition, discussions around the Bill Back Better Act reconciliation package have resumed, and several important primary elections took place earlier this week. Here to discuss all of these things on this week's episode of the Healthcare Happy Hour are NHU's Chris Hartman and John Green. So welcome back to the podcast, guys. And let's start with the big news about that FAQ I just mentioned. This new guidance from CMS clarifies that carriers cannot continue a certain practice in the individual market. So Chris, could you talk more about this FAQ and what it changes and and why NHU considers this a win? Thanks, Dan. And thanks for having us back on again this week. Yes, on Tuesday, we had a announcement from CMS regarding broker commissions on the individual market. So let me start with the problem that we've seen, heard from our members, and brought to CMS. When a a plan is issued for the individual market by a carrier, they set a broker commission that works great for open enrollment period. Most carriers were offering a commission, and it's come up a little bit commissions since the start of the ACA. But what we were seeing is after open enrollment, many carriers were either zeroing out or offering very low commissions for any of the special enrollment periods. So any of the life events that happen that qualify you for going back into the individual market. And what this causes is many agents and brokers to be enrolling people during the rest of the year for no compensation whatsoever. And that's just really hard to run a business when the insurance carriers are offering no compensation. And so it's pretty clear to me that the insurance carriers basically were trying to discourage people from getting health insurance outside of open enrollment period. I suppose they believe that these people are more likely to be sicker and drive up their costs, although you won't get that sort of information out of the carriers. But that would be why you would really be discouraging brokers from signing up individuals during the special enrollment period. So we have talked to CMS about this now on several different occasions. Several of our agents have also been in these meetings. And yesterday, we've gotten some results. So CMS issued a FAQ essentially stating that carriers, once they issue a commission for the year, have to be using that commission standard for the full year of the plan. So they can't decide after open enrollment period that they're going to arbitrarily just lower the commission down to zero or nothing. And so we are very pleased. I think that will bring some stability to the work of agents and brokers. It will ensure a high quality customer service to consumers out there. And so we were very pleased to see CMS make this change. I think it will be good for our agents who 
work heavily in the individual market. And it, again, provides, I think, some opportunity for agents working in the individual market to continue to grow. We've seen growth in the individual market over the last few years because of more people being in the individual market, but also because of things like Curissa's and other sorts of programs that are involved in the individual market. So our individual market agents, we hope that this provides them the just compensation. And we're not talking about large amounts of money here, but for the time and effort that they put in to enroll somebody in SAP, they should be compensated for it. So we're very excited and think this will be also very good news for the consumers who, because of a life event, which qualifies them for an SCP, maybe they got married, maybe they're having children, all these other sorts of things, or maybe they've lost employer-based healthcare because they're starting their own small business. Uh, this will allow more flexibility and ability to help the consumer out there. So again, very good news, big success. Thank you to our agents and brokers who brought this to our attention and helped us work with CMS to see this change come into place. What is the effective date of this guidance? So the effective date of this is immediately. That's part of the, the way FAQs work. The clarification to rulemaking that, that was done out there for anything that was left vague. So we're pleased to see this happening right away. Now, moving on, as we mentioned just a few minutes ago, after several months of stalled conversation, talks between the White House and Senator Joe Manchin have resumed. The Build Back Better Act technically passed the House earlier this year, but obviously provisions in the Senate version would look much different than the House version. So regarding healthcare specifically, what are the key provisions that we are anticipating may be included in this new version of Build Back Better? So let's start with prescription drugs, because that is still top of mind in Washington and out in, around the country. And so some smaller version of some sort of drug negotiation that tilts more towards the Senate version is likely because you need to pay for to pay for other things. And that other thing is the ACA subsidies, which are due to go to lower levels. Uh, you know, they were raised in the American Rescue Plan subsidies were increased and those expire at the end of the year. And so there's a lot of concern about that expiration just shy of the midterm elections when they will announce what the rates are and they will be much higher and it'll affect millions of people. And so I think that's bringing a new urgency to the idea of doing some modified reconciliation, even if it's limited to largely healthcare provisions. I think those are the, the two main drivers of reconciliation for healthcare. Yeah, I think the conversation for reconciliation continues to go on. There have been media reports of conversations with Majority Leader Schumer and Senator Manchin and Senator Sinema in regards to this. Uh, obviously, Build Back Better as it passed the House is dead. But I think the question is, will they try to come up with some other version of it? And remember, the reason to use reconciliation is it's one of the things that allows legislation to be passed in the Senate with just a majority vote, not needing the 60 votes. So that does encourage people to use it as a vehicle. There are only certain things you can use within reconciliation, though. This does not open up all legislation. It has to be something that essentially changes government spending or tax policy in a large way. So it can't be just total policy with no financial implication. So healthcare, obviously, as we talked about, is a big piece of this. John mentioned about the prescription drugs. Obviously, continuing the American Rescue Plan's individual market 
tax credits is a big part of that discussion. Prescription drug piece could pay for a lot of that since the prescription drug piece does save the government a considerable amount of money. I think the other thing that will continue to be in the healthcare conversation is for the states that did not expand Medicaid to use the individual market ACA tax credits to fill in that gap, which is a plus considering other versions of the bill did things like create a public option to move in there. NHU has been able to push back on any, everything from single payer to lowering the age of Medicare to creating a public option, all of which were in early, early drafts of Build Back Better. That is all out now. So those pieces are what we sort of whittled down to. I think what remains to be decided is how does this actually pass and can you get Senator Manchin to actually vote for these sorts of things? Conversations seem to be continuing between Senator Schumer and Senator Manchin. Uh, it's unclear how much specificity Senator Manchin has really given about what he's looking for. I know some of the conversations that Senator Manchin have are energy policy related. Obviously, he comes from West Virginia, big energy state, big coal producer. So I know these pieces are in healthcare related, but that was going to be part of reconciliation. And then I think the other piece is, is tax provisions of it, right? Senator Manchin is interested in using reconciliation to reduce the federal deficit, uh, which means bringing in revenue, but paying down the debt with it. The question is, are there enough revenue raisers in here to really reduce the deficit? And if not, do you basically come up with other revenue raisers, other tax increases to do that? And I know that at which point Senator Cinema is not very comfortable raising any sort of taxes on the American public. And so I think those negotiations really continue on. As far as like, when does this all happen? So this reconciliation package itself the ability to use it expires September 30th. So that would be the sort of procedural legal drop dead date. I think as, as far as looking at things like the ACA tax credits, we're really talking about more like, and really the carriers need the information now, but we're probably really talking about the end of July because Congress will go on recess for August. And obviously we start heading into the point where the carriers will send out their notices for next year about what rates will be. Without the continuation of these American Rescue Plan rates, we'll see rates go up for many individual plan holders by 50%. This is on top of already very high inflation that Americans are feeling in their pocketbook. And then to see their rates on the individual market plans go up by 50%, I think will be a real shock to many Americans. Uh, this is obviously horribly time for the Democrats moving into the election in November. If Americans who are on an individual marketplace plan see their rates go up by 50%, I, I think they really end up holding the Democratic Party responsible for those rate increases the same way they're holding them responsible for the gas prices and other sorts of inflation in the grocery store in this country. So fair or not, that is the direction I think the American public will see when they, when they see their rates go up this fall if they can't come to a deal in the Senate. So... That all being said, is there any indication of when the Senate version of this reconciliation package may actually be introduced? Do we think that the odds are strong that, that this will actually be put for a vote? So I think that the chances are less than 50% at this point because the, the, there are other things on the agenda. There's, they're putting gun legislation up and there are other things ahead of it. There's actually some healthcare legislation that's being voted on, I believe, today. And so I don't know. I, I feel like the calendar is really their biggest enemy right now. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with John. I mean, obviously, we've uh, heard quite a bit of discussions about gun control legislation. I think if something does come together there, it's actually more likely to be a some sort of mall gun control legislation combined with mental health. The mental health piece is something that NHU would be involved in, not the gun control provisions, but that will take up floor time. I think in general, looking at the Senate calendar, 
there's everything from competes, which is a large piece of legislation that involves really uh, looking at the private sector and how we're going to compete with China in, in the coming years through STEM, education, investment, technology, trade, and other these sorts of things to make sure the American companies and others compete with China over the coming decades. I think that is going to take a lot of time on the floor in the Senate, not to mention a very large committee to reconcile the differences between the House and Senate bill. That bill also is something, at least on the Senate side, that a lot of Republicans voted for. So I think that is going to take a lot of time up in the Senate in the coming weeks. And so I think there is a lot of provisions that compete for that time. And if, if it's so hard to get a deal cut, then Senator Schumer and others might put their efforts into seeing some of these other pieces of legislation pass instead of trying to put more time into a reconciliation bill that just might not happen at all. The only reason I think there, there is a light uh, or any light of this possibly passing is really that ACA individual market notices going out and the, the, the effect that that will have on the American public pressuring their members of Congress to do something about those increased costs of, of those plans. And so I think that will be one of the motivators to try to get something actually passed. I fear in, in typical congressional style, it will be something that gets passed after the 11th hour, and we're all scrambling to sort of reconcile the rates that were filed and, and then consumer notices we got, and then trying to put back in the ACA tax credits there and their course be creating more of a, a headache and a nightmare for the process actually going forward. Moving on, and also building off of a conversation uh, we had a couple of weeks ago, it's still primary season. This past Tuesday, seven states, California, Iowa, Mississippi, Montana, New Jersey, New Mexico, and South Dakota held various primary elections for state and federal offices. So out of all these different races and primaries that were going on, what were a couple that caught your attention? Well, for me, I thought that just generally it was good for mainstream Republicans. I think that it bodes well for them for the fall uh, when you don't elect someone who's so far off center that they're not electable. And then I thought it was a bad night for progressives in the Democratic Party. Again, more mainstream Dems who have a chance in a general also prevailed. Yeah, I think some of the big articles from last night's election one, I think in San Francisco, you saw the prosecutor being recalled. He was a sort of hard left prosecutor, which you've seen and now in a few cities elect these individuals, very sort of defund the police oriented. And, and I think uh, we're seeing a backlash in several cities to prosecutors like this being elected and including San Francisco. Obviously, San Francisco has a very left leaning reputation. Um, but even last night, you saw individuals like the prosecutor there being recalled in San Francisco, uh, which will allow the mayor to appoint a new prosecutor for San Francisco. I think you have seen in California and a couple of primaries is out there, as John points to, a bit of a backlash to some of these more progressive positions that other politicians have staked out. Looking at last night's races, the summary of it, I think you're going to have to kind of look at all the primaries through the whole season to get a better picture of what's really going on out there within the field. Because I do think you do find in other states, you know, a few weeks ago in Oregon, we did see the more moderate per trader loses primary to a more progressive individual. So I think it's going to take a few 
more weeks, if not months, to get a better picture of what's really happening in these primaries and what the primary elected is really telling. And, and it's also hard to use primary elections to get a better sense sometimes of what's really going on in the country. Remember, most Americans don't vote in primaries, so it's hard to get a, a sense of what the bigger impact is, how engaged people are. The voter turnout seemed to have been pretty low in the primaries last night in several states, so we will have to see what that means for this coming November. But again, since in, in many states you have to be registered with a party, you know, there's some where you only have to go in that morning and ask for a ballot, but it's hard to tell the, what the big picture will look like. At least for last night's election, John's very much correct that it looks like a lot of the hard left progressives in the Democratic Party lost and hard right in the Republican lost. But we have several more weeks. And actually, several of the primaries are later than ever because of redistricting this year. So there will be a lot that go on in August and September. And so we'll have to see how much the American public is paying attention and what that means going into November. A couple of particular races that did catch my eye were Ryan Zinke in Montana is just slightly behind at the moment. That race has not been called. And Michael Guest in Mississippi is in trouble there as an incumbent. So over in Iowa, Navy Vice Admiral Michael Franken won the Democratic primary for Senate in Iowa. He will be facing Senator Chuck Grassley, a name that is likely familiar to many NAHU members, as we have worked with the senator on a number of issues. So do you think that the Democratic nominee has a chance in Iowa in November? I would be very surprised within this political environment if Admiral Franken does have a chance of winning in November. Uh, Senator Grassley has been a senator from Iowa for many decades at this point. And to be quite honest, yes, I think running a military man always has an appeal. And there are many Americans who like the idea of electing military individuals. But he's running on a very progressive platform, one that I think is probably too progressive for Iowa, including looking towards a Medicare for all solution for health care. So I would be very surprised to see if he could win this November between his political positions and the fact that I do think this is heading towards being a good year for Republicans, I'd be surprised if this race turns out to be competitive in November. It is now time for the NAHU Healthcare Happy Hour Toast of the Week. So who are we toasting to this week? This week, we're toasting to CMS and our health insurance agents who work on the individual market. We are so pleased to see broker compensation be equal throughout the whole year. And this is great for consumers and great for the health insurance agents. Cheers. Thank you for joining us for the NAHU Healthcare Happy Hour, the official podcast of the National Association of Health Underwriters. For more information on NAHU's government affairs efforts or to become a member, visit NAHU.org.